0: On today's episode, Dave interviews Rick Hall. Rick is a Second City alum. He has been in Key and Peele, The Middle, Arrested Development, Seinfeld, According to Jim, and 24. Rick's one-man show, Pick Boy, played two sold-out performances at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, and his short, Slice of Pie, has won nine National Film Festival awards. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy.
1: But the people who do things like bitch about how they don't have any money, I'm bored of that. I'm tired of it. Yeah. yeah, Even if you don't have any money, you got to be tired of it too. Not you, one. Because I know you're made of money, Rick.
0: Well, well, actually, um, we're notorious for actually loaning money to people. I shouldn't say that. But, uh, you know, if somebody needs some money, we're not broke. Right. Um, And so somebody's, I don't know, we've loaned out money several times. But you know what? I'm doing a big project at my house. Uh, we're going to tear out the whole front yard. Who's we? Uh, Laura and I. You're going to do it yourself? Yeah, well, get this. I'm going to get all the people who owe me money together, and they can pay off part of their debt by by working in my front yard, tearing out bushes and sod and stuff. Anybody can do that. Right. How smart am I?
1: <laughs> You're very smart. Um, and they're probably saying, how smart am I? They're uh-huh. saying the same thing. Work. That's good. Shimmerk.
0: Well, the reality is, um, if my... When you loan money to friends, you should never plan on getting the money back. And then when you do, or if you do, then you're like, what a treat. Right. But then you don't worry about it all the time. Oh, my gosh, they owe me $200 or $500. And you
1: know it's hovering in some people's heads right. about that money that they owe.
0: Right. And those who it's not hovering in their heads, then maybe they'll uh, go, oh, yeah, geez, I forgot I owe him $300. You know? Isn't
1: it weird how the the uh, in uh, Viewpoints, which is a... Um, uh have you ever studied viewpoints it's a movement no connection i talk about it a lot in the podcast just in terms of uh it's a different way of looking at theater and doing theater mm-hmm. say and one of the things I talk about is something called architecture and architecture is when you're in a scene it's the floor the ceiling the props the props and you have a relationship with those props right and so if there is a trophy on the wall you have a certain relationship with that piece of architecture right. And if there's a, 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 you know, if there's a doorway that you know on the other side of the doorway is, you know, your lover or the murderer or something, you have a relationship with that piece of art And history that goes with it. Clearly, absolutely. Everything that goes with it. So the thing about money is it's the same thing. And when I show you a $10 bill or a $20 bill, your, your body changes and your energy changes and everything like that. And then even the memory of something or if you lent me $20 and I never paid you back, the memory of that $20 has that, that kinesthetic response.
0: Yeah, 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 it's true. And you can't help it. I mean, well, it should. Well, for especially for improv, you should have uh, a response to everything that's surrounding you. But it's
1: also in life, too, right. where you really take a look at that sort of thing, because I know someone that you and I know that went through the program mm-hmm. and made amends to me. And this fellow, like, I... Uh, uh, yeah. he lent me, you know, he, he kept asking for money right? And money and money. And one day, uh, Aaron Rhodes said, dude, just lend him money. And I said, I'm never going to get this money back from you. I know I'm not going to get this money back. Right. And Aaron's like, just lend him the money. So I lent him the money. He got sober four years, five years later. He said, if there's anything I ever did or said made amends. And I said, you lent me $20. I lent you $20. You never paid it back. And he, the look on his face was he opened up his wallet, handed me the $20 and I watched I also saw him not remember that he didn't know it, but I also saw this weight lifted off of him Uh because of the architecture, because of the power of money.
0: Well, and plus you were honest with him and said, you know what? There is something. Because if you just said, oh, there's nothing, there's nothing. When you're going through the program, you know you've done stuff to people. I mean, uh, I know too many people have gone through programs that they go, oh, I know I've messed up. Uh And uh, if you say, oh, no, it's no problem. You know what? You're not making them. You're still enabling them. Right. Oh, and, that's right.
1: And they want to they want to let go of that stuff. Oh, sure. So. And I want to let go of that stuff too. Right. Because right. if I look at you and I because I mean and here's another thing. Do I owe you money? Is that what you get into? to? Everybody come on out. <laughs> Got a bunch of people back there. Right. You right. Who owe you money. <laughs> who owe who owe, who owe, who you owe money to. That's no. hard. No. Um I just paid off twenty five thousand dollars worth of credit card debt. Did you? Yes, I did. Wow. I did. I cashed in a lot of fucking money and I paid off credit card debt. That I thought would always, I would always, I I, I was always thinking, there's a job out there that will pay me that. And it never came. Right. Well, can I tell the good
0: news I have today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, uh, Laura and I got audited, a minor audit by the IRS for 2010. Mm -hmm. We turned it in um, a year and a half ago and we've heard nothing. And I said, all that work and they did nothing with it. Not that they want them to come back and say, oh, you owe us $3,000. But uh, we got the letter today, and they are giving us $852 <laughs> back.
1: Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, that never happens to anybody. And that just shows the clean living that you and Laura have, you know. Well, we're really fair with our taxes. I mean, we don't take
0: chances, so mm-hmm. there you go. You've got
1: two girls, right? Mm-hmm. you got two girls. So you're an adult, so that has a lot to do with it as well. Well, you know what's helping. Uh, we're getting ready uh, to think about
0: college for the right. first girl. Mm-hmm. And... Being an older parent, I can use my uh, retirement money if I have to. Not that not you you don't want to use your retirement money, but I've overloaded my retirement so I can pay for college if I have to.
1: Now, when you say an older parent, what what does that mean? I'm 54, and I have a 17-year-old and a
0: 15 Wait, That's year old. an older parent? I know. Well, I got friends who have grandchildren at this age.
1: Right. I well, Great-grandchildren. Great of... What right. am I saying? No. Yeah. And from the
0: farm, people yeah. down there? Well, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's mostly from the Midwest. uh uh-huh. um, But no. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and they said, yeah, my grandkids are coming over. Wow. I've got six grandkids. And no. these
1: are people that you went to high school with? Yeah. yeah. What the f- how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, you I have, know how that you happens. You have sex with someone. I know. I and know. They That's have... not true. That's not true. <laughs> 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 well, you could have
0: sex with someone. In
1: that no, not me. You don't know me. Obviously you don't know me. Um, I could not have sex. So the idea of like growing older and realizing, oh my God, I've been out here in LA X amount of years, or I've been pursuing this, not pursuing this. I've been doing this working job. I've been working. because Working I at your, working. I, I, and right, but that's all part of working. I was looking at your IMDb, and there's like it's deep, dude. And you've been here for a long. I mean, been I've here. been I've
0: been full time in LA since '91. Mm-hmm. Don't get that phone. I gotta get it.
1: I gotta get the phone. Do you? No, it's not the phone. It's at school.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's the I'll school. Get
1: to, i got to get to school. Sorry, it's going to take me a bit of time. There's a school across the street, if yeah, you're wondering. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, Laura and I moved here full-time in 91, and mm-hmm. I was doing a series with Rosie O'Donnell, where I was her husband, which tells you how long ago that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> Nobody would believe that now. Uh, No, no. And uh, Melissa Gilbert was her sister, uh-huh. and Sam McMurray, we had, we had real fun doing how, that. What was the name of the show? It was called Stand By Your Man. Right. Yeah, and we did seven episodes for Fox. And uh,
1: Did you come right from Second City doing that?
0: Um, no, I, I was back and forth for a few years. Uh, and I came out here for a couple pilot seasons and then went back to Second City and said, is there anything I could do? And they needed to understudy, and that's when I went into the uh, main stage to understudy all the main stage guys. Uh-huh. And then uh, Jim Faye passed away. Right. And... Uh, and they said, "Rick, you know his parts go into the show." Well,
1: what was that like? Because it, I mean, that was such a that was such a different time. I had Rob Belushi here yesterday, and just talking about the deaths at Second City and things like that. And I was talking to Laura Kraft about that sort of stuff too. And right. you go, "Boy, uh, Jim Fay died." Well, it was really interesting. Was, I mean, I'm sorry. Let me just back it up a little bit. Jim Fay was somebody that even to this day is mythic in purport, in mythic, uh, just mythic in uh, his ability oh, yeah. and his talent.
0: Oh yeah, he's one of the one of the most clever, brilliant guys I, I ever had the uh, thrill to work with. And he passed away. And two weeks later, Natalie Craig Taylor, our stage manager's wife, passed away. Right. It was a really sad um, time at Second City. Do you remember when that was? I think I was there at the time. It would have been about 87, yeah, 86 sure. or I seven. was there.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was a really sad time. And here's what we did. Uh, we knew Jim uh, as a tribute to Jim. We did the show anyway that night because he would have wanted to do the show. And for Natalie, we didn't do the show because she was a waitress and she would have wanted the night off. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, that's the way I remember it. At least. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But she died. They both died of overdoses, right? Um, I mean um, Jim died of he um he it was alcohol related right. in some way and I'm not sure exactly. When when you look at him do you think of him when you look back on that time do you think of him as an older person or do you think of him as a contemporary?
0: I thought I've always thought of him as older because he started in the business way before we did. He was he was underage uh doing stand up in clubs. I remember Bonnie Hunt once said, back in the old days, well, Bonnie had been a nurse, right. and then she'd really only been acting full-time for like a year and a half. Right. And she said something about the old days, and Jim Faye went, wait, wait, wait. The old days, when? Like a year ago or a year and a half? Because he'd been doing it by then. He'd been doing it for 10 or 12 years. Right. Or 15, I don't know. Right. And uh, so I always thought of Jim as one of the older guys. Here's a, here's a Jim story. We're, we're on stage, and... We're doing a scene, and one of the guys all of a sudden said, hey, guys, I've got cancer, and the scene stopped, and we're like, oh, crap, there's nothing funny to say now. And we were in a locker room, and we just sat there for two or three seconds, and Jim goes, hey, that's really bad. Um, can I have your locker? It's a better locker. <laughs> so. <laughs> Got us out of the scene. Fred
1: played us out, and Craig pulled out the lights, and we were done. Ah, uh, you remember those little things. You remember those those moments where people just kind of chilled out and say, "What would what would the most inappropriate thing to say in this moment?" Mm-hmm. And that would be the thing. And and the fact that talking about somebody who's passed away, you know, Fred playing us out in Monday's Fred's uh, memorial mm-hmm. at uh, in in North Hollywood, and that the work that we've all done on on the main stage and the work that we've done. Think about this a lot. I think about the people that we've connected with, the people that we were great, that performed, that we loved performing with, it wasn't anything necessarily that they said that made them great. It was the spirit that they worked with. The presence of them. Absolutely. And Fred is one of
0: the best examples. You know, Laura. um, Laura Laura Hall, your wife? My wife, Laura Hall, uh, plays the piano for Whose Line Is It Anyway? But she got started, she was a waitress at Second City And she would listen to Fred play after the show, and he would just sit and play. And she just said, this is amazing. And she was supposed to be cleaning up and doing her side work, and she kept listening to Fred. And Fred, one night, was just playing themes for each waitress as they walked through the door. And Laura goes, man, it just doesn't stop. And that's the inspiration for Laura doing it. And now my wife is supporting me, and I can can just sit home and smoke cigars because
1: my wife's got a job. Yeah, I can see her doing that. Oh, I can yeah. see her letting that happen. I can see you doing that. Um, it, but but when you did, what got me that you said was, it just doesn't stop. Man, it just doesn't stop. No, no. And I yesterday I was working with a bunch of my uh, actors in a drop-in class that I teach here. And um, the idea of it just doesn't stop that was what we did yesterday, pretty much. It, was, it just didn't stop. Sitting and riffing, just sitting there. And I'd play a piece of music on. I, 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 brought in, uh, I brought in some music, and I put on a piece of music. And it was just riff from that. And you watch this actor just fall into this spirit and get into this spirit. So I'd play the beginning of the music. They, she, would, she would just, the, the actress would just sing it out. Not sing it out. Speak and talk and riff and go and go. And then you watch some people said, it's got to stop. Mm-hmm. And that's when the creativity stopped because they thought it's got to stop. It's not because it stopped. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, some of the best improv I did at Second City was I was doing a lot of commercials back then, and I was the spokesman for Kohl's department store. Mm-hmm. I shot hundreds of commercials for Kohl's, but I went to Milwaukee for all those. But I would be sometimes, we'd shoot two days in a row, and I'd do the show on a Thursday night, go Friday, shoot all day long then come and do the show again. Some of the improv sets I did after going, you know, 24 hours straight were some of the best stuff I did cuz I never edited myself and it wasn't like filthy nasty stuff came out. It was just I I had to be in the moment right because I was too tired to do anything else
1: well when you're running so at, at that point you're running on fumes and you're running on you really you're running on it's interesting because the word spirit just keeps coming in my mind mm-hmm. um, and spirits like uh, isn't a cleaning solution known as spirits mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah mineral spirits mineral spirits right. so you're running on spirits in a way and when you're running on spirits the inspiration spirit is in the word inspiration so you're running on that spirit, and that's all that matters. You, you, and Laura are Christians, right? Right, right. And so you know that very well. That notion of spirit. Am I getting that being wrong? spiritual?
0: Being, being um, spiritual,
1: but I, I'm I'm not just talking about that because Christianity is spiritual, but it's also religious. Right. But there's something about spirituality that I know both of you are very spiritual, but there's also something about when. How can I put this? Um, you won't insult feeling, me. <laughs> feeling the spirit within you, like the, the Christ spirit or something like that. Right. That, that's a different thing that I can't relate to, but I can relate to the notion of that movement. Well, I used to. Um,
0: I grew up where everybody I knew was Christian. Uh-huh. You know, either you know Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran, but everybody went to church. And then I met Laura's family, who's half mm-hmm. Jewish, right, and half Lutheran, and. Um, Juther- Jutheran? Jewthrin's yes. And I, for the first time, I really got involved and got to know this Jewish family and realized in my mind, they were more Christian than the Christian side of the family. They're more Christ-like, let's say, in the fact that they were loving, they were open, they were inviting. Uh And um, as I got thinking about all that, wait a minute, those are Jewish traditions and Christ was a Jew. Oh, I get it. Yeah, they are the, they are Christ-like because they're Jewish, and right. that's, they're good people. I mean, they are the most welcoming, open people. Here's what you don't want to do. Oh, boy, do something wrong to the family, man. Oh yeah, right. They're worse than the mafia, right? (laughs)
1: Well, well, the family that I, I, uh, the Catholic family that I uh, that I was married into for fourteen years, there was, uh, they wouldn't say what it was that was the issue, but you would know that you were shut out, right? You would, you would know that that you were stopped down,
0: right? Now the, uh, you know, my spiritual journey has come uh, a long way, in the fact that I grew up in the Baptist church with some pretty firm beliefs about what's right and wrong. And as I'm getting older, I'm finding out that, you know what, judging what's right and wrong um, doesn't do me any good. And I wish I could be more, um, more more like some of the people I grew up with where everything was black and white. Mm. But everything's
1: not black women. no and I think as you get older I would imagine also as a parent you start really taking a look at what's right and what's wrong and you also start taking a look at what's right and what's wrong for you because you've got to forgive yourself right, right? don't you so there are certain things that you're gonna do because you have to do it right. and if you were gonna weigh it out unconnected to anything else you'd go oh that was a horrible thing right. But we don't look at thing it's not fair to look at things in that way right. that's why I don't have regrets because a regret seems to me to be something where you go where 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 you look back on something that you did and you went, oh my god why did i do that but you weren't airdropped into that situation whatever it was that you did led you up to that point Yeah. so yeah. there is no black and white there is i you know i don't i don't even like saying that there's gray i think there's rainbow you know oh my, you know what i mean oh my but you know what i mean Yeah, to I say do. that it's gray means implies to me that there's that cloudiness and and darkness to it, and And it's not, but there's shades of every, you know, orange is sometimes too much. Yellow is sometimes too much. Blue is sometimes too much, but you know, to, to, to look at the things that we do and to regret it. uh, It's just, it's, it's so, it takes you out of
0: now. Yeah. You know, my mom, it's interesting. My mom, um, Peter Onorati, a fairly well-known actor, that's a good name. Peter
1: Onorati. Yeah. Peter Onorati. Pete Onorati. Pete Peter Onorati, which reminds me of uh, the name of the woman, the name of the mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, was Ray Ciency. Oh, yeah. Ray Ciency. Yeah. And he named his daughter Nancy, Nancy Ann. Nancy, Nancy Ann Ciency. Oh, my gosh.
0: I, I grew up with a, a Morris Code. His last name was Code, and they named him <laughs> Morris.
1: Isn't that great? <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up with a candy fine. Oh, did you? And there's a guy named, named Brady Bunch. No way. Way. Mm. Second Let's get back to Peter Honorati. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um,
0: my mom um, asked Pete, when she came out here to visit, my mom asked Pete, um, he plays bad guys a lot. And she said, as a Christian, how, how do you feel about playing bad guys? And he said something along, and I won't quote him, but something along the lines of, number one, I'm an actor and that's my job to play the role I'm, but I'm not that person, right? And it, ultimately, you want to show the good in the world. And how can you show the good if there's no bad guys to play and uh, to be? And the bad guys are what make good more obvious. Absolutely. You know? And
1: so um, you can't have shadows without having light. Ooh, now we're getting deep. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's you just true. can't. That's true. And uh, and and I also love the idea that when you're a, I would imagine when you're a Christian and you get to play a bad guy, you really are, your source material is goodness. So there's that awesome pressure of you playing that out. Okay, there's part, that part, but the other part is,
0: I, I don't have to be good. This guy doesn't have to be good. He's a bad guy, and I get to be the bad guy, because in life, I choose not to be the bad guy. But
1: isn't this guy, do you think this guy thinks he's the bad guy? I think he thinks he's the good guy. That, yo,
0: that's it. That's how bad he is. That's what I mean. Oh yeah, he's like the no,
1: there's nobody. There's no strong characters apologizing for themselves. Oh no, because you can't. No, you yeah. you either feel the way that you're feeling, or you feel another way. Right, right. And that's
0: oh yeah, that's true. That's what makes him really bad. You know, in the beginning of Rambo, um, Brian Dennehy is taking Rambo out of town. Right. And he's the nicest guy, and he's like, "Hey, come on, I'll give you a ride. We'll right. take him. And he's right. smiling and friendly. And it was a, and you know, this wasn't the greatest movie in the world, but that was a great character. This smile, yeah, as Ron West would say it, smiling face, evil heart. And uh, Ron has said to me before, "Rick, I need you to play a role: smiling face, evil heart." <laughs> yeah. i well, love
1: ron west because ron will do this like i won't be talking to ron uh i won't i won't have talked to ron for a really long time and then he'll phone me up for something and he'll it's as if he's continuing a conversation that i've never had with him. <laughs> <laughs> where um he'll, he'll call him he'll say um david ron west it's like hi ron what's going on well As I was thinking, I was thinking, wait a minute. Shouldn't you have thought about what it was that you're going to... Right, right. When you call me, it's like, what what, just happened? He
0: has the pinter pause in his regular speech Absolutely. Okay. Or he'll say, you'll say, um, what'd you call him about? And he's calling about some theatrical thing. And he'll say, I played a softball
1: game today. I... (laughs) Took two grounders at, you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Right, right. right. Um, uh, Going back to Peter Onorati, Did I get that name right? Yeah, you did. Um, The idea of playing the bad guy. Have you played a bad guy? Oh,
0: yeah, a couple times. Okay, I have to say this. I was listening to some of your podcasts so I could bone up on what you guys do. And what you Mm -hmm. do is just sit there and talk. But you're talking to Pasquazi and those guys. I've done two of their their shows factory and the Merc and Penal. And both times I played the jerk that they push against at the, you know, cause there are a bunch of misfits and, and so in Merc and Penal, I play a guard uh-huh. and um, I'm the guy they have. They, they have to have somebody strong to give grief to, to give crap to. Especially the, I mean, you got,
1: uh, you got the grief, you've got the d- dirty dozen of grief.
0: Oh yeah. Those people. guys. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. And, and then in factory, actually, uh, these were on
1: factory. on Spike.
0: It was on Spike TV. Yeah. yeah. And Mitch said, "Rick, this, Mitch is, Rouse. this is Mitch Rouse Said, uh, "Rick, there's this jerk that walks through the scene, and we just yell at him. Uh, he's kind of an idiot. You want to be? You want to play that guy?" Mm-hmm. And it was just one walkthrough in the pilot, and they kept adding me every episode because they realized that they needed their foil, and it had to be somebody strong. And as as kind of whiny as my character was, he could take it, you know. So well,
1: it goes back to you need that darkness to have that light. You there you need go. That pressure, and and I when I'm teaching, uh, when I'm when I'm teaching, I I was talk about uh, you don't need what they say at the center of every scene is conflict, but it's not conflict. It's pressure. To say that it's conflict means that we're going to fight, right? You know, just and I know that we, I know that that shorthand, but still for those guys to be those guys, they need a guy that's not that guy.
0: Right, right, right. And
1: in order right, because you could play whatever you want. You could be a bunch of crazy fucking people. Right. And then in the middle of it you realize, oh wait. This is in the basement of the White House. You know what I mean? Like it takes place in a place that you sure, don't know. Sure, It's that blackout, that second city blackout, which is um, two guys sitting around and they're 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 going through the dictionary. Uh, Remember dictionary? Yeah. It's like they're going through the dictionary going, penis, penis, read it again. Male reproductive organ. Right, 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 right. Right, right, right. Um, uh, look, up, uh, look up tits. Look up tits. And right. then you just hear, Dr. Smith, Dr. Barney, please right. come to the restaurant. <laughs> and that's like, you know, typical that. <laughs> so it's the reframing of that. And I love the, and you look at The Godfather. You know, those guys, that play, play? I think it should be a a play. play. I think it should be, I think it, really, I think Godfather 2 should be an opera. Let's talk to Laura. Laura Hall write the opera. You know what? I think it would be a great opera, and I don't know why it's not an opera. She's written it's got some everything. She's in written it.
0: some dark stuff. She wrote Mance in the musical with That's Tom right. Booker and those guys
1: for the annoy- Yeah, she was part of that crew. Yeah, why no. am I talking to you? I know she's the interesting she Hall. Yeah.
0: Matter of fact, speaking of the interesting Hall, she's going to go record Arsenio Hall. In uh, actually, I'm going to leave here and go watch her do that. She's they're improvising some of the Who's Line guys. Right. And Laura's going to play the piano and Arsenio is going to sit in with him and sing with him. So that's
1: He's. Help. I think he's great. It'll either be really fun or a train wreck that everybody enjoys watching. Well, but you know what those, are, those shows are like. Did you ever do, Joe, Joe Liss and I did uh, Make Me Laugh. Do you remember that show? No. It was some kind of cable show or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. And Joe Liss and I did that, and it was a train wreck. But when you're in a train wreck with Joe Liss, it's a very different story.
0: Well, it's a fun train wreck. It's Joe, a fun train Joe wreck. Joe Joe Liss. He's one of the most. Uh, we actually we'll see him up in San Francisco. Uh, we're doing. We're gonna. We're gonna teach music improv up in San Francisco. We're following in your teaching footsteps. Oh
1: my goodness, they love you up there. They do love me up there. Isn't that cool? I love them so much. I go up there at least three or four times a year. To teach.
0: Well, we're gonna teach music improv at the um, uh, the San Francisco Improv Festival. Awesome. And then we're at the Chicago Improv Festival before the, before that. Right. In in all modesty. Uh, because Laura does most of the work, we teach a really good music improv workshop. People, uh, everybody, even people who can't sing will come out of there going, wow, I did it, Right? you know? Right, uh, Did you ever think that you'd be a teacher? No. No, matter of fact, I never really took any improv classes. I worked with John Michalski, and we. I took like two classes with him, and he said, I'm starting a company. And that was the beginning of the Improv Institute. Right. And we open the Improv Institute, which the 30-year anniversary is next week. In, and aren't they in going to Chicago. be at CIF?
1: Yes. And Evan Gore is going to be there. And no, Evan's not coming. Evan's not coming. And Ron's
0: not coming either.
1: Oh. But Jack
0: Bronis and uh-huh. and, and Patty Musker and, and hopefully Jill Talley and myself and uh, you know Tom Hannigan and Ross Godstein I think is going to show up.
1: Um, people don't know who these people are, but those of us who do improv know who these people are. Right. And it's interesting. The way that improv has grown and evolved and changed, and it's Rick, I just I get blown away about that.
0: Well, you were talking in one of your interviews that um, you you thought back in the '80s when it was at its heyday in Chicago that it was going to die. I mean, this is a limited; it can only go so far, <laughs> right, right, right? That's right. what Lauren said when she moved to LA. She said, "I'm done with improv," you right? Because it's a it's a finite path; it's going to end, and then. <clears throat> And then uh, Ron West needed... Uh, he was helping with Whose Line Is It Anyway, the British version, and they needed somebody to come in and play auditions because their piano player bagged on them. Laura came in and played. Ne- a few months later, they decided they were going to do Whose Line American, and they said, hey, we need a woman, and Laura's really good. And th- I think they saw a couple people, but Laura got the job. How long was that? How long was that job? That was... Well, it's hard to say because they shot over like two or three years, but they shot five seasons or something. Because the, when they shoot one night, they'll get two, maybe three shows out of one taping. What a cheap show to produce. I know,
1: right? It's great. Well, I, I was a consultant on the British version. Okay. Ron, Ron and I did a bunch of, you know, he and I wrote on that show, I don't know, probably for six months. And we wrote challenge rounds and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And it was a non-ending thing. Well, think about it. You didn't have to, you, you get the right crew in there. And you don't have to write a damn thing. Well, and
0: speaking of the crew, the guys that run cameras and lights and everything, they're setting up the stage for one night. If you're doing a sitcom, they're there, most of those guys are there all week long for one show. Right. They come in one day. And get two, sometimes three shows. Come in the next day, get another two or three shows. They do Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They may have nine or ten shows in three days. It's uh, I I never understood why ABC didn't keep them running, but the CW does now. Has got them now. Oh, that's
1: right. It was ABC. Yeah. It's it's amazing to me also that that uh, not only is there improv, but there's improv to make money. Yeah. You know,
0: Bernie. Sollins, who started Second City, uh, said uh, the improv sets free because you can't charge people to come see that, and it—that's uh, isn't that interesting. Uh, there,
1: Bernie was wrong on that. You can make money doing it. I I haven't thought about that, but that is really, really true. Because they're charging people to come into I.O. and watch essentially an improv set, right? right. They're charging people to go to to every other space, and Second City isn't charging people to come into their improv set, which is the finest improvisers in the country. Yeah. And you're watching them for free. Right. Who was the first show that you
0: saw over there? The first show I saw was, uh, I was in college and I went up and John Kapelos was on stage on a Monday night uh-huh. and they were doing the, I remember the police sketch where the phone, there's a, there's a guy laying on the couch and the phone rings and rings and rings and he finally gets up, pours himself coffee, phone rings, rings, rings and he finally meanders to the phone he goes, hello 911. Right. Okay. Right. That was the first scene I saw and I remember thinking then, Wow. I'd like to do this. Right, right, right. And then, uh, and then, like I said, I took a couple classes with Jeff, Ma- J- John Machowski. John. And it,
1: was John a cop? <laughs> do was, I remember? Was John a cop or did I just remember? Yeah, he was
0: a cop and um, he's a uh, park ranger now. Yeah. And uh, John, we started the Improv Institute and then I got hired out of the Improv Institute to go into Second City. So uh, I actually, in some ways, I got to admit, Dave, I think I was a better improviser before I knew the rules mm-hmm. because I didn't, I didn't second guess. My, my instincts were pretty good. And then I learned the rules about what not to do and what, what See, you don't. And that got in my way for a little while. I wasn't a very good improviser. Well, I
1: think while. that right now, the way that I look at it, because I don't, I don't, I don't teach the rules. I teach what's your feeling, what's the emotional content that you have at that moment. And I react to your feeling. Right, Whatever exactly. you're exactly. I what, should see but that. you right? also you you walk into a space, you see me sitting here like this, you tag me right away. I don't have an opening line of dialogue. Right, right. You come right. in, and you go. It was only a goldfish, Jerry. Right, and then I know right. at that moment you're right. there to, to you're there to 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 comfort me, and I'm grieving. That's it.
0: You know, I don't have the first line. You know, one thing Bernie Solomon said was, uh, among other things, I did two shows with him as the director, and Bernie said, if the audience sees it and you don't. They're gonna hate you <laughs> because you're stupid. If they, if you can't see what the other actor is doing and you ignore it, they're gonna hate you. That
1: is it. Yeah. And and I think that a lot of people get caught up in the rules. Walk in, have a strong opening line of dialogue. It's like where the fuck does that come from? Right. Where does that strong opening line of dialogue come from? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm sitting here like this and I go whatever, if I'm if I'm hunched over and looking down at the ground solemnly, and I have that line of dialogue, you might have to figure out what the fuck you're supposed to be doing. Right. Right. As opposed to you gifting me. I call it being the Santas of Nowtown. town Oh, that's good. So you're constantly giving me gifts, constantly giving me gifts. But it's not thinking. But, but uh, you know, whatever. I'm not here to teach this class. But it also, the moment that somebody says, don't ask questions, you go, what are you talking about? Right. How do you live a life of not asking questions? Right. What we have to teach people is don't answer the question. So if I say to you, how are you feeling? Back off, asshole. Exactly. Back, right. And
0: I go, but how are you feeling? And you go, back off. Back off. Right. I need my space. Exactly.
1: Right. And so, Which is what humans do. Exactly. Right. And because I, we, we're teaching people not to ask questions, but we got to teach the people hearing the questions, not to answer the questions. Right. Right. That's good. And I, Ooh, I'm, I'm getting a little class here. Yeah, right. You had class when you walked in. You had class when you married that Laura Hall. I'll I, tell you that. I did marry beyond my means. I totally get that. Yeah. And you guys have been together for how long? We, I met her in. The, I walked backstage,
0: and when I got the night I got hired at Second City, oh. Donnie uh, DePolo said, "Come in and do the improv set with us." And so I walked backstage, and I saw the two girls, which were Madeline Mulatto and Patria Bouchard, and then this piano player, Laura Hall, or Laura Wasserman. Right. And I went, oh, I like that piano player. (laughs) And that's when it started. And that was in 84, I think it was. So we're looking at 30 years I've known her. Right. And then we went on the road together and I still was in love with her after being on the road and seeing her at her worst and me at my worst, you know, because when you travel in a van with all those people. Who was in the company with you? (coughs) It was Carrie Goldenberg, Joe Keefe, Mm -hmm. Madeline, uh, Patria, Myself and Mark Belden got hired the same night I did, uh-huh. and then Mark married Madeline, right? And I married Laura. Are so, they still married? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So four of the
1: cast members are married.
0: I remember. I
1: remember Laura Wasserman. I remember that woman. Yeah. I remember her, Laura Wasserman. Little
0: hippie girl. Yeah, yeah, I remember
1: her, and I. I can't say. I, whenever I think about where my life is right now, I. Who knows where you're going to be, but. I'm so much better having had that experience, the Second City experience. Definitely, definitely.
0: I knew when it was time to leave. Um, when it, it's not always fun, but it stopped being fun completely, and I started not liking the audiences. And I thought they, oh, they're all drunk, and they, you know, I started getting this big attitude, and I left Second City, and I was done. And 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 I'm glad I left. But I came back six months later and watched the show, and the audience loved the cast. And they just were eating them up, and it was so great. And I'm like, oh, my God, I miss this so much. And I went backstage, and the first thing I heard was, I hate this audience. They're terrible. And I went, no, no, they love you. You guys, they love you. And they go, no, they're terrible. And I went, oh, yeah you know what, it's time to leave, (laughs) you know, for you to leave now, right?
1: You know, I felt, I felt the same. My deal with me was because uh, Donnie DiPolo told me me that I was hired. No, this is what he said. He said this, I, I got hired. I went across the street, the old town ale house. He's sitting there nursing, whatever he drank. Mm -hmm. And he, I said, Donnie, Donnie, I got, I got hired. I got hired. And he said, great. Mind your own business and fuck the politics and leave before you get bitter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's something I'm not proud of, and I'll admit it. I said it to uh, a young touring person. I don't even know who it was. And they, came, I was coming out of main stage, having done a show, and they were uh, doing a tour, and uh, they were all so high. and they, go, I, and this Like high on what
1: they were doing. High yeah. excited,
0: yeah. You know, and they go, we just finished our first touring show. And I go, you can put it on your resume. Now you can quit. Oh! oh can you believe I said that? Oh! But that, I look back on that and go, those were the signs that I knew that I was done. Right. You know, I was tired. I look back on it. Now I think, I wish I had an outlet like Second City because I have these, I'm like, oh, this would be a great scene idea. And, oh, this is a good idea.
1: Uh, the, but, but you can also write.
0: Right, which you I am wrote, doing. Well, well. You, you and Laura wrote the show. you
1: wrote, um, what was the show that you wrote?
0: I, wrote, I did Pig Boy, which Pig Boy. My, was my one-man show about right. growing up on the farm. And Laura's the one that said, You're not working much right now. Why don't you write down your stories? They're interesting. And I'll go back to Peter Onorati. I said, no, no, Pete's stories are interesting about growing up in an Italian family in New York, you know, and all that stuff. And I thought, no, that's interesting. Laura said, your stories are really interesting. So when I would tell my stories about what I thought was just regular stuff growing up on the farm, People in L.A. would go, oh, my God, how did you think of that character, the character that drives a dead animal truck? And I go, I didn't think of him. He's a real guy, and that really happened. like, no way. And then the other side of the coin is I went back to the Midwest last summer and did a show, and I told the dead truck story about the guy Mm -hmm. that drives the dead truck. Mm -hmm. There was a guy in the front row loving it. And at intermission, he came to me, and he goes, I drive a dead truck. (sighs) He was the dead
1: truck driver. So, it was good. It was a, it's weird. And, and the couple of things that I'm hearing when, when you say that is to have a relationship with somebody that you've known for so long who could say, you could do that. Right. And for you not to go, stop telling me what to do. Um, you know what I
0: mean? I really trust Laura. She's, when I write, she's my first editor and she has really good sense for things. When I wrote uh, this little short film that I went back to the Midwest and, sh- and shot I offered Laura the role of the girl in it, my girlfriend in it, because I knew she could do it. She said, No, now, I mean, well, we had the kids and everything. So um, her friend, our, our friend, Kelly, ended up doing it. And then I got back from shooting that with Kelly. And Kelly, I know, was a uh, singer, Kelly McLeod. She had toured with Van Halen back in the day. Um, and, uh, and he produced two albums for her. And I said to Laura, You got to work with Kelly. You should write songs together. Laura's like you can't just put two people together and uh, tell them to write songs. Well, they got together and now that's their band, the Sweet Potatoes. Oh,
1: that's the Sweet Potatoes. That's the Sweet Potatoes. Yeah.
0: And I play bass and sing and play harmonica and with them. And so, my, I I often say, you know, because Kelly was my girlfriend in the movie, I say, touring with your girlfriend and your wife, you think would be really exciting. It's (laughs) not everything you would hope it'd be. Uh, (laughs) I basically have. Two wives and what are you doing? What, you know,
1: turn left there. <laughs> uh, the living, are your kids, are your kids, uh, are they, are they uh, artistic?
0: They both are musical. Eva, my older one, uh, plays guitar and ukulele and sings. and But she wants to be a bioengineer, uh-huh. which I'm thankful for because my right hip bothers me. And I know she's going to be the one to, honey. Daddy needs a new hip implant. Can you, you maybe wait? Your right hip bothers you. What do you think it's from? I don't know. Maybe like falling off a wagon or something when I was mm-hmm. young. You don't know. We're just you know, I don't know. Things are falling apart a little bit. Right. Come on. And then my other one, uh, Ruthie. She's 15 now, and she wanted to be an actress, but now I think she's leaning towards being more like a teacher or something. But they're both. They both have got yeah. it if they wanted to. Did you
1: know what you wanted to do when you were that age? Yeah, I was
0: going to be a veterinarian. Right. Look how I that went, worked out for you. I went to college right. to be a veterinarian, and I started taking the classes and ended up uh, doing trying out for the play. Right. And I did one play, and they were like, you're an actor. Right. Nobody makes a living doing that. Does it matter? Right. Yeah. Well, and uh, since then, I have played a, a veterinarian twice on Seinfeld. So um, I... As far as my mom is concerned, I have been and made it. I am a veterinarian. Well,
1: you know who also didn't work out for a vet, veterinarian?
0: Shirley, uh, Shirley Jones. Mick Napier. No kidding.
1: Yeah. He came um, realized that he was allergic.
0: Oh, oh. See, I, growing up on the farm, I'd just been around animals all my life. Right, right. But Shirley Jones was going to be a veterinarian. We, we opened for her at this thing. and Recently? Uh, yeah.
1: Well, How would she look?
0: wonderful hot i mean i i did a tv show with her too uh, good luck charlie she played the ma, grandma and i was uh, a policeman or something and i i was around her for a week and i was like she is really attractive and i don't think she's had any work done she she and sweet smart fun uh, she's really great gal really great gal
1: she has done some awesome movies yeah and when I think about the people that we've worked with, uh, and not just Second City people, but people whenever we've done a TV show or something like that, right. and you look at it and you go, you were the guy who played the guy in the thing that I loved. Right. And they're right. like, man, that was me. Right. Oh, I did uh, Saving
0: Grace. and Oh, who's the star that, I um, can't even think of her name. Uh, uh,
1: B, right? B.
0: No, no uh, anyway, tiny little, uh, I'll think of it later. But anyway, I'm in the middle of the scene, when it's just her and I talking and all of a sudden it's quiet and I realize it's my line and I realized the reason I forgot my line is because I'm thinking look who I'm acting with yeah, and then all of a sudden I went, yeah, can we go back a line or two? <laughs>
1: <laughs> real pro, real pro. It's bro. really interesting because that's a typical, typical example of the ego getting involved in what it is that you're doing that totally throws you off. Right,
0: right. Because oh, was... the moment
1: that you're there, you're no longer there. Right. If you're going, oh my God, look at me, I'm in this place. Or, oh my God, look at me, I'm in this place, whatever it's going to be. Right. The moment that that happens, the ego comes in and you are not in that scene nope, nope. anymore, Jerry Seinfeld
0: was giving me notes on um, on Seinfeld and in between scenes and I was trying to listen to the notes but all I could think was I was looking at him and all I could think of was oh my gosh I bet he's making more money right now than I've made in my life I mean like right now while he's telling me the notes and then he gets done and he goes did you get that and I go yeah yeah let's try it again
1: <laughs> That was the best acting <laughs> idea Oh I I have I've I have problems when Right, it's this thing of like, focus on listening, just focus on listening, focus on listening. And it happens when I'm at a restaurant, uh, because I travel a lot, and it happens when I'm at a restaurant, and I'll be in a restaurant, and suddenly someone will say, "Uh, hi, my name is Carl, and I'm your waiter today. And then I'm thinking, listen to the specials, David, just listen to the specials, listen to the specials. And all I hear is like, "Uh, and today's special, we have a... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, on a hamburger... (laughs) I'll have the BLT. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly.
1: Um, or, or you're in traffic and uh, and there's a backup and you want to listen to the traffic. And the tra- the uh, traffic on the nines. And uh, you go, okay, and on the 405, which you're on, they'll go, it's... <laughs> we don't want to listen to that. But, uh, but the voice in your head is saying, don't listen to it. Don't. You can't. What are you doing? Yeah.
0: I uh, uh, Holly Hunter, Saving Grace. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. Wait! I was blown away.
1: I mean, she was so cool to work with. But she, I mean, she was in broadcast news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at that. Was that movie kills me every time? Well,
0: and not to name drop, but look at some of our friends. Steve Carell, you know, he's a huge uh, uh, Keegan Michael Key. He's a buddy of mine. We go to church together. Right. Um, Very spiritual guy. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, we did a show together in Chicago, and he took me to his church. And then when he moved here, uh, Ron and I said, Yeah, you got to come to our church. And we go to church together, you know? But I mean, there's Keegan whose career is starting to skyrocket. And Steve, who's, I said to Charlie Hartsock one day, who's uh, producing for Steve now, I said, Wow, he's, this is years ago. I go, Man, he's going to make it. And he goes, Rick, he has made it. Right. I'm like, Yeah, right. you're right.
1: Right. He has. Right. I mean, he was sitting in that chair, and I'm sitting, you know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's sitting in that chair, and I'm talking, I'm thinking, we toured together, we were roommates on the road together, we did shows together at Second City, we drank together, you were at my wedding, you know, we shared a girlfriend once, it was like all that stuff. (laughs) And uh, it was, um, and to look at him now and go, oh, my God. And then I asked him, I said, what's it like to go outside? What's it like just to walk around? And he said, people don't bother me. Really? And that's what I thought, too. See?
0: Wow. I was, uh, I I had a moment of of getting bothered by, no bothered. I was a, I did a bunch of commercials in Seattle where I was a doctor, and it was a really fun campaign. Really clever, really fun character for me to play. And I went up there to do a live appearance, and I got off the plane, and the first person I walked into goes, oh, my God, you're Dr. Hardy. <laughs> and I charged him seventy-five bucks and said, "Yes, I am." <laughs> um, but I can't imagine what it's like to be somebody like Steve,
1: right? Just... Or to be Col- Colbert. I mean, Colbert's yeah. another one. And then the interesting thing about Colbert is he totally gave up his name. Correll didn't give up his name. Correll is that right, character and that right, thing, but right, Steve right, Colbert right. is Steve Col- Stephen Colbert. Right? Steve Colbert is Stephen Colbert. He and gave John, up his name.
0: John Favreau is another. Right? I look at, I'm like, "Holy cow!" He's directing huge movies. And, by the way, John, if you hear this, I'm not working. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing this podcast. If I'm but you're on your way to you're somewhere thinking,
1: You're on your way to Arsenio Hall, dude. Yeah, to right? watch
0: my wife work. Shh, but you know what, though? I am so okay with Laura working. I, a friend of mine back home once said, what would you do if your wife made more money than you? And I said, pay the mortgage, buy a car. What, what do you mean? And he goes, no, I mean, would it bother you to pay the mortgage and buy a car? No. But these and, are guys back home. Yeah, yeah. He goes, "Yeah, I think I'd have a hard time with my wife making more money than me." Really? It goes back and forth. Laura, the year before she got Who's Line, she made 5 grand for the year. That's what she made as an as a uh, musician. People say, "Why is she smiling so big on the show? She's always just so smile because She's a musician with a job, right? Right. <laughs> there's
1: only four of them, so. Right, 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 and there's also. A, I'm going to go back to your friend who who says, "What would it feel like? Like that? What? What a weird thing to go." My wife is going to make money, so we so we can afford to eat. But my ego is going to get in in the way and let that upset me, right? Because my manhood's being threatened, right? I, mean, I don't know this guy, but no. I totally understand. Yeah, that. and and he, and he was kind of
0: whimsical about it. He wasn't like, oh God, because his wife is not making more money than him, But right. You know, I'm, I, I don't know, I I had this thing just last week. Laura was busy with the show, and I was taking care of the kids, and I wanted to make sure the house was not a complete disaster when she got home and the dishes were done. And, and I realized I was kind of the fifties housewife. And suddenly I used to think, Oh, that fifties housewife thing. What a, why did women let that happen to them? (laughs) No, there's a place, there's a job in, in this world to take care of our children and, and have a house that is, you know, not, not, not a pile of crap. You come back to, and it looks nice. And, 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 you know, that was my job
1: last week. It probably drives me nuts to do it all the time. Well, no, but I think an interesting thing is your statement about why did they let that happen? Because they didn't let it happen. It's just what happened. Yeah, it was. It's just what you did. Right. And 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 it, which is the same thing that you're doing. You're you're just doing it. You're not seeing anything right or wrong about it. Right. It's just, and not only that. There's this Yiddish word, naches, where you get joy from this. It's a great word. It means you're just getting joy from what it is that you're doing. Or right. like you're, you know, you're, you're, your daughter plays the ukulele and, and you're just looking at her and, you're, and the inside of you is just so warm and open and you feel it. And when you say you're doing the dishes and you're taking care of the kids and you're making sure that the house is clean when she gets there, the gift that you're giving is your givingness.
0: When I was, when Laura was doing Who's Line, the first go around, uh, the girls were both in preschool, and the preschool director had been on Broadway, she'd been an actress, and she was a director of preschool now. And I went through this period when Laura was working, that I was not working at all. Right. And I was kind of kvetching. That's a Jewish word.
1: Kvetching. kvetching. Is good. Uh, but I want you to shorten the time between the K and the V. Kvetch. That's Kvetch. Kvetch better bet gotcha.
0: I was talking to the, uh, the preschool <laughs> director because I knew she'd understand and she said Rick what a blessing that you have this time with your girls because when you're older there's you'll never find a dad who said what do you wish you'd done spent more time doing and nobody will ever say oh, I wish I'd gone to work more <laughs> but almost always will say oh wow I wish I'd spent more time with my kids right and I had some you know I've had some really great times with my kids because I was forced to, and I wouldn't have done it probably as well or as much if I hadn't not been working.
1: It's interesting the word forced, because yeah. you weren't forced to. No, no, that's true. Because there's plenty you, of things I could do. Absolutely. Keep me busy. Right. And the thing was, you you weren't forced to. You Yeah. But it's that great phrase, replace ambition with gratefulness. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's that same thing where it's like, I wish I worked more. No. Be grateful that you get to spend the time doing whatever the fuck it is that you're doing at right. that moment. right. Um, and the fact that your wife is working, and there's no jealousy there, there's no, there's no, you know, you guys are partners in this truest sense of the word, on on all levels. I love working with Laura, and maybe because we toured together,
0: when we go on the road together and teach improv music classes, uh, it's, we really, we get along, we have fun, we enjoy it, and... You're and, celebrating each other. Yeah, we, we enjoy each other's company.
1: Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I've, I've been over at somebody's house a few times, and I go over there, and I just watch this couple snipe at each other. And it's just a nasty place to be around. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I have to say, I've said to Laura before, we, at night, we'll lay in bed and talk, and very often make each other laugh. And there have been nights when I have fallen out of the bed because we're laughing so hard, and I said, I hope that's what our kids remember, because we don't really fight, fight, yell, fight, but we, you know, have disagreements. I hope our kids say, "Gosh, my parents laughed together a lot." Right. Yeah.
1: Did yours? Uh, sometimes,
0: yeah. I mean, they went through times when uh, there was more, you know, when they did some arguing, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, but I I, I cherished the times when the Dad laughed so hard that he couldn't finish a story. He'd slap his knee and. And just, and we would bait him to tell those stories, knowing the ending and knowing how it went, because it's him telling the story was
1: what was important. It's not the story; it's him telling the story. Yeah, yeah. And isn't that what acting is about, though? Mm-hmm. It's not you portraying what it is that you're. It's not. It's not the story that you're telling. It's you embodying the spirit of the telling of the story. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? You and I haven't sat and talked in years. I don't.
1: Know, gosh, I can't remember the last time we it.
0: Yeah, and. We're just going. We're just talking.
1: Welcome to my world. There you go. But I. But we connect on a level. Yeah. And anybody that I'm going to have over, I'm not going to have. I'm not going to have. I might have Hitler over, just, just a, to go. What the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We go well, really? What the hell? I went over. I had a, a podcast interview with a woman that is the liberal contributor on Sean Hannity's show. Uh huh. And, um. I just think of the people that she sits and talks to mm-hmm. that are just so, from, from my point of view, from my point of view, um, are just so angry and warlike and aggressive. And, and she's just, I'm watching her be chill. And it's like, how do you live that life? And she said, this is my job and I love doing it. I just love doing it. And just because somebody else is angry, that doesn't mean I have to be angry. Right. right. It's really an existential experience.
0: I was on stage with John Rabano once, and we were at Who's the... Who's going to be here next week? Oh, cool. He's going to sit right here. You'll um, see him at uh, Fred's uh, memorial. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Well, he he and I, we were at the Improv Institute, and it was a 24-hour... Uh, oh, I remember
1: that. Man. Uh, on Belmont?
0: Improv- uh, yeah. Yeah. And we did 24 hours of improv, and groups would come in, and it was late at night, and there were people there. I couldn't believe they were there at four in the morning, and he came out as Captain Angry and started berating the audience. And I came on stage as Dr. Friendly and was, was being really nice to everybody. And he was like, what the hell are you people doing here? It's four in the morning. Have you no know life? And then he'd pause for a second and I'd say, I so appreciate you being here this late at night. It really shows dedication to what we do and it makes us better because of it. What
1: the heck? Yeah, it was. Oh, John, nobody got angry as angry as John. Oh, he was great. But oh. it, it was his character. It wasn't. But it's also I mean, you look at a guy like that and you look at, is there, is there another, is there, a, aside from you, as handsome a man in the world oh as John Rabano? Gosh, no. He is, he's just, and he's timeless
0: handsome. He's not like, he hasn't, he, he hasn't aged. He's George Clooney handsome.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. And he plays a trumpet like a motherfucker. Yeah. And he has a voice that is just so strong. Right, right. And his wife is awesome. Right, right. Yeah, wow. Sue Sue Angus. Sue, Sue Sue Angus. Her last name is Angus. Really? Yeah. Better than Herford. That's Better than a Herford. farm joke. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Better than Herford. <laughs> Sue Herford. Oh, oh no! Do no. you know anybody whose last name is Herford? Right. Right. What was the weirdest last name of anybody that you grew up with? Uh, well, the Twitchells lived up the hill. <laughs> wait! Wait! Hold it. Well, the Twitchells lived up the hill. Yeah. That in itself. Twitchell has right. hill at the end of it. That's
0: right. Doesn't it? Terry Twitchell and Neil. Well, Neil Twitchell. Mary, Neil, Marion, Brad Stewart, and uh, Dennis. Denny. and then, Denny Twitchell? Denny Twitchell. Oh, come on. He
1: should be. You know what he should be? NASCAR driver. Denny Twitchell. Yeah. NASCAR driver. Number 45. That's right. Driving for Home Depot. Right. Denny Twitchell. Denny Twitchell. <laughs> Terry Twitchell and I were
0: really good friends. That He... He TN, Terry Neal Twitchell uh-huh. and he actually said he went through a phase where he goes I'm Terry Neal Twitchell TNT I'm dynamite no white boy in the yeah. middle of nowhere saying I'm dynamite oh
1: my gosh the Twitchells the Twitch yeah. I was I was looking up you're very hard to IMDB dude not me? IMDB you're very hard to uh, to uh, uh, YouTube because oh, really? there's just so many Rick Hills Oh uh, Rick, Halls? Rick Halls pardon me there's so many Rick Halls Really? There's so many. There's like so many. And some of them are like fire and brimstone guys. And like, right. I couldn't even find any of them. Uh,
0: yeah. Maybe bring
1: up Laura Hall and then. Uh, I did. I brought up Laura and Hall. And tag alongs. <laughs> <Rick>. <laughs>
0: I'll
1: tag ride along. on
0: your coattails. I don't mind living there.
1: <laughs> but she's. Uh, I, I love the fact that you guys tour together. I love the fact that you work together. I love that union because I don't see it. I didn't have it in my, in my family.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm lucky. I'm mm-hmm. really lucky. And my girls, you know, they went through some teenage years that uh, I was thinking about trading one of them for a puppy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a puppy that would mind me a little bit? Mm-hmm. But uh, but you know what? They're good kids. And, and I'm really blessed. Got a good life. And we make, we don't rake in the money, but we make enough money to survive. Every year we do our taxes and go, we did it again. Another year. Right. Uh, when I was doing the Coles uh, commercials, one of the guys at, in Chicago. Yeah, uh, we're actually out of Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, while you the, were
0: living in Chicago. I was living in Chicago. Mm-hmm. One of the guys at the ad agency said, "Oh my gosh, I just found what you found out what you make when you do a commercial. You make more than I, and and you work what twenty days a year." And I go, "Yeah, you should quit what you do and do what I do, be unemployed most of the time, and then occasionally you find a job like this." And he goes, "I could never do that." Yeah, right. And I said then stop complaining. I mean, you've got a good job, You've got, and you're good at it, but you can't do,
1: you don't want to do what I do. No, part of our job, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think part of our job is to not be working, is, is to know that part of our job is not working as often as other people work.
0: Okay, I learned so much uh, from watching other older actors, and in Chicago, there was an older actor called, uh, his name was Ralph Foody. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember at Home Alone when he's watching the gangster movie? and um, they're and they, and they they're shooting machine guns and that's Ralph Foody is the old actor on, on that gangster movie That he, but anyway, Ralph Foody and I went and did an industrial film out in the middle of nowhere out in St. Charles and we're driving back and he said an actor's job is to audition and occasionally you get a vacation and you get to go shoot something and get paid for it then you go back to your job which is auditioning and we don't get paid for that but I was like, yeah That is my job, right? Audition,
1: right? and keep auditioning. And it's also, if you don't love auditioning, it's going to be problematic, man.
0: And I'm going through a phase where I don't particularly love auditioning. Laura will say, uh, commercial auditions especially, it's just a look. The first call is just a look. Callbacks sometimes are a little deeper, but she'll say, how'd your audition go? And I'll say, well, I got parking right out front and they uh, didn't keep me long. It was a great audition. Because that's all there is. to what it. What more are you going to do? And then I forget about them, and I, I'll mention it to my mom, and she go, "Oh, did you get the Oscar Mayer commercial?" I go, "I don't even remember that one, mom."
1: My dad, uh, I've mentioned it a number of times on this podcast. My dad, at sixty five, decided he wanted to be an actor.
0: Wow.
1: And so he's eighty two, and he's been doing it, and he will remember. He will, when we call up on the, I oh, talk to him on the phone, and go, "Had an audition over at the for a commercial," and I'm thinking. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love that you're telling me that, but because he gets really excited about it. Right, right. And I feel the same way. But it's interesting to feel the same way because when, when I do a commercial audition, I'm able to let it go. But if I'm doing an episodic or a movie, I'm like, where's the, where's the phone? Let's check right. the phone. Got to check the, right. phone. Gotta see the phone.
0: Or surely my agent's going to text me or something in right. a
1: few minutes. And I was
0: on, uh, I, I had a job just two weeks ago, and it was a Disney show. It wasn't a big thing, but it was a nice guest star role. And I was the only one they wanted. And it can't, you know, they oh, yeah, they just, they have one more person at at Disney to look at you. One more person needs to look at the, and then the day we were shooting, they go, oh, they passed, (laughs) which is so typical. And I told Laura, I said, I never thought I had that job. I never think I had Ah. the job until the wardrobe person. Right. Because then I know the wheels are going. Right. And you can still be, you can still lose, lose the job,
1: but at that point, they got to pay you. But uh, I, now I think this was a story that Mark Beltsman was in a movie. Do you and know he this heard story?
0: he somebody saying his lines in the next room? He,
1: no, well, I've heard I, this story. Well, I think that he, he was, they, he shot the movie. He was invited to the, uh, screening Premier? of the movie. What's it called? The premiere? Yeah. Somebody else got, they, they took him out. They reshot his parts. And he's sitting there going, Wow. Right. But he got paid for it, and but it's
0: still such a blow to you to suddenly Oh,
1: uh, you got paid for it. I did a I did a Roseanne. I did a Roseanne. I did
0: too. I got my check for that the other day, and that was 25 years ago. I, that, that shit sh- runs all the fucking it's time. It's crazy. I was cut out of it. I was too.
1: I was cut out of it, and I still got my eighteen dollar check the other day. Well, you imagine, and that was one of the things when I think about because I get checks for that. I get checks for money all the time, and it might be a penny or whatever it's going to be. Right. But there is somebody making. A, Roseanne has that coming in all the time. Right, right. Now there's a bitter human being. Yeah. There's a nasty, bitter well, she, person.
0: Ooh, I was I was on the show, and I had one scene with her, and. I, was, I didn't talk to her. I didn't look at her. Right. They said, "Don't look at her." I know. And so we're doing, getting ready to do the scene, and she's right behind me, and she burps really loud, like. Bleh. I can feel the hot on the ba- the hot moist air on the back of my neck, and I. St- the
1: salami wind.
0: Yeah, the salami wind. <laughs> and I turned around and I said, "Feel a little better now?" And she looked at me and said,
1: "Just do your job." And I said, okie dokie. I she the, the 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 scene was she was having an acid flashback. She was pregnant, having an acid flashback of giving birth to babies, huh. like like a, a nonstop babies. And they hooked up this thing, so it looked so they were able to underneath the set. Pass babies so it looked like she was passing the babies. Oh, yeah. And they had, like, a rehearsal. And the rehearsal had 15, 20 babies there with the parents of the babies. And there was a guy, poor schmuck, playing the, op- op- the obstetrician. Right. No, no the, the, the giving the birth guy. Right. The
0: obstetrician? The obstetrician, I think.
1: All right, good. Been Look, a two while. guys. Two guys right. sitting around not knowing what. All right. So she was playing this and they were having a rehearsal and her legs were spread and, and they had like a fake thing set up and they were passing. It was like a magic trick. Right. And she was screaming be careful with those babies. You don't want to drop the babies on their head. What the fuck is wrong with you? Hold on to those babies. And the parents are on the sidelines freaking out. Right. And the poor guy is going, I have a child. I, I you know I know how to hold it. It's like, no, you're not doing it right. Next day, he was fired. They had somebody else in there. Right. And everybody was scared. Oh, yeah. John Goodman and uh, Laurie Metcalf walked off the set. That shoot was supposed to be, I remember it was my dad's 65th birthday, and I was going back to Chicago. They walked off the set. We all sat in the honey pots at CBS Radford in August, in the heat, waiting for them. We would come in in the morning, we would get our costumes, we would hang them up, and we'd wait. We waited three days. We sat in those honey pots. Oh, Three days, the trailers. Those are hot, man. In August, in the valley. And and the toilets always smell bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the toilets always smell bad. And everybody on that set was, everybody was, everybody was on edge.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because she could make it all go bad. It could all, and the other side of the coin is, I worked on this little show called Good Luck Charlie, and everybody on that set was glad to be working. Who was that? That was um, uh, Bridget Mendler, um, and uh, that's the one where Shirley Jones was the grandma. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. a little Disney show, uh-huh. and I know—I'm guessing nobody on that show was making a lot of money because it was Disney. Disney. Um, but but everybody on that show was glad to be there, and they treated me nicely. John Lithgow on Third Rock from the from the Sun treated me like a regular on the series. Right, he knew my name right. day one. When we did the read-through, I had one line. By the time we got done, I had one line. And he said, everybody come to my room and we'll do the read-through. Rick, make sure you're there. I go, I've just got the one line. I know it's really small. He goes, I want you there. And he treated me like like a regular cast member. And that's the other side of the coin. I want to be somebody like that who treats
1: people right. Well, you know, Fred Savage, did you ever do working? Yeah, I did. I No, but I did uh, Party Down. Uh huh. Yeah, and he's another guy. Will just be the nicest guy. Yep. On the planet, he actually, he, he his son
0: loved Laura's um, kids CD. He got a hold of uh, Laura had written a, a, a bunch of kids songs, and he called us once and said, "Can I come over and have my son play with you?" And he had his, his son had a little little toy guitar with like two strings on it, and he would just. Won't you come over to my house? And, yeah, and sang with Laura, and it was the cutest thing. And uh, then a couple months later, I get a call from Party Down. Uh, Fred wants to see you on that. I'm like, darn right. That's great. You know, that, what a thing to do.
1: What a nice thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's been, I'm going to stop here because you okay, can't yeah. get any nicer than that. There you go. Great. It's, Good fun. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you
0: for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Razowski, I'm Ian Foley. If you'd like to see one of Dave's improv shows or one of my stand-up shows, you can get that information at addcomedy.com. If you want to take a class with Dave, that information is located on his website at davidrozowski.com. You can also follow Dave on Twitter at drozowski. Today's episode was sponsored by
1: Troubado, a
0: restaurant movie. A new movie by Mind Films portraying an accurate, sometimes funny, and sometimes cringe-inducing glimpse at restaurant life. Troubado, a restaurant movie. Available to watch in its entirety online for only $5 at groupmindfilms.com.